Hi everyone, it's Catherine back again this week and welcome to the third episode of this series of our Quadrant podcast. As you know, this series will be exploring smart and sustainable cities and today I'm joined by Simon Brammer, Head of Cities from Ashton Climate Solutions in Action, to discuss their Sustainable Towns and Cities programme. So thank you so much for joining me today, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be with you. No, no, thank you for taking the time to speak to me. So before we kick off, I think we just need to learn a little bit more about your Sustainable Towns and Cities programme. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Of course. So um, Ashton is a, a climate solutions charity. So we work internationally as well as in the UK. So um, what most people know us for is our awards programmes. So we have our big discovery process that goes out into the world and tries to find some of the best solutions to some of the climate challenges that we face. So we work in the global south, so that might be issues like energy access, for example, or it might be about looking at uh, forest restoration or nature restoration and the kind of benefits that brings. Might be looking at improving respiratory health by promoting uh, clean cook stoves, for example. But the work that um, we do is focused uh, on the UK. And we have a whole range of different issues we focus on. So looking at transport, how we make that more sustainable, um, looking at how we tackle some of the challenges in our towns and cities, like clean air, for example, how we enable people to be more active in the way that they travel, so walking or cycling. We look at things like um, energy systems and how we can better locally manage energy, how we can create it locally, how we can use it more effectively. And then we look at things like housing. One of the biggest challenges we see in terms of our carbon agenda is, you know, how do we take those 11 million homes in the UK, which are very poorly constructed and turn them into energy efficient homes? And sometimes that will be done through retraining of people. Sometimes that will be done through innovative programmes like one of our winners deliver called Energy Sprong. And I can tell you more about their work in a minute. But essentially, they drop a whole new shell over a house and bring it up to a high standard. When we find our winners in the UK, it isn't just enough to showcase them as winners solutions. We work really hard to promote our winners and to help others understand their solutions and to either replicate them or adapt them locally to help them with the challenge. So the work in terms of our towns and cities programme is predominantly focused at local authorities across the UK. And that's because we think local authorities are much closer to the people that they represent. And therefore, they understand the issues better. They understand what the challenges are in their regions. They understand their housing stock. They understand what the skill shortages might be. They understand the kind of issues that citizens might be facing um, within those towns and cities. So our work is targeted at supporting local authorities to be able to deliver those uh, climate transformations we need to see. And they're very challenging. Um, A good 80% of local authorities have now declared climate emergencies um, with varying different targets for net zero. So some of them very ambitious, suggesting there'll be net zero by 2025, others ranging from 2030 to 2040. Nonetheless, I don't think we can underestimate the transformation we need to see in our energy systems, in our transport, in our housing, in order to come anywhere meeting those targets. So our role is to help local authorities go further and faster. And I can explain a little bit more as we carry on with the conversation how we do that. 
Uh, no, definitely. Thank you so much for that. It's great to kind of learn a little bit more from someone who works at Ashton, like what you guys do. So obviously we've, you've spoken about um, houses and energy systems and things like that. Um, I know the retrofitting of housing is a, a, a process that a lot of different local councils are looking into now. So we touched on the retrofitting of houses a bit. And will you just talk me through that and how you think technology can help with things like retrofitting houses, how it will boost sustainability in towns and cities and kind of catalyse that change from carbon like guzzling and um, buildings to carbon neutral ones? Yeah, of course. So one of the big challenges we have with our housing stock in the UK is that it's very drafty and we don't actually have the levels of energy efficiency that we need to be able to reduce the energy that we use. So at one end of the spectrum, you've got uh, passive house homes and passive house homes are con constructed to use virtually no energy in terms of their heating. They're so well insulated um, that the people and who occupy the building and the activities they undertake generate enough heat to keep those people warm. Now, the vast majority of those 11 million homes I mentioned in the introduction are nowhere near that level of energy efficiency. So we are spending a lot of time and money heating our homes for that heat to be escaping from our homes and not only warming up the environment externally, but contributing to the climate crisis that we have. Now, one of the main strategies, one of the main recommendations from the Committee on Climate Change, which is the government's main advisory body on how we're going to bring carbon emissions down in the UK, is that we have to see heating transferred from gas into electric. So that essentially is moving from boilers to heat pumps. So heat pumps essentially compress the heat around them, so either from the ground or from the air, and that heat is condensed and then brought back inside the property. But for heat pumps to work well, your home has to have high levels of energy efficiency. We call it a fabric first approach. That means you have to make the home energy efficient and then you can install the heat pump. The challenge we have at the moment is that those 11 million homes I talked about on anywhere near the level of energy efficiency that's required to be able to run heat pumps. So there are lots of different solutions we can look at here. So uh, one really good example would be one of our award winners um, from a couple of years ago called Qbot. Qbot are a robotics company uh, by nature, but they provide underfloor insulation. One of the really big challenges in retrofitting homes is that a lot of the coldness comes from drafts which are coming up through your wooden floorboards. A lot of homes in the UK have timber suspended floorboards and actually by insulating those you can make an enormous difference to how heat is retained in the house but it, up until now it's been an incredibly difficult job. You have to lift all the floors, lift the floorboards, lay the insulation and put it all back down. Instead Qbot uses robots to do the work for them so they create small access uh, underneath your house so they can go under the floorboards they scan the floorboards with one robot in order to understand what it looks like. And then they go in with another robot, which sprays insulation underneath your floors. Now, that little bit of technology has transformed the way that um, floors can be insulated in the future and makes a contribution, moving us towards that kind of standard that we need to see that houses are, uh, are much more efficient than they have been. I do think it's really interesting hearing about things like this. I think this technology is really going to help catalyse this shift to a green economy 
because obviously now there is a lot of talk about this green economy there's cop 26 that's coming up in, in november in glasgow mm-hmm. people are, are really keen to kind of push this new sustainable way of living across the globe so why do you think why do we need sustainable cities in the uk and how do you think it will regenerate the economy after um covid it's a very good question i think one of the things that covid has shown us very clearly is that we have very high levels of inequality. So one of the things that we want to see happen in the UK is that whilst we do need to uh, deliver a green recovery, we want to be driving down carbon emissions, but at the same time improving the standards of people's lives so that people can have dignified lives, not having to struggle to make decisions about whether they heat their home or whether they feed their kids not having to put up with enormous amount of pollution, which is having detrimental impacts on the health of people who live near busy roads, for example. So we think there's a huge opportunity here. In terms of thinking about retrofit, thinking about people's homes, I talked earlier on about the role that heat pumps would need to play. So the government itself has said that by 2020, they want to see 600,000 heat pumps being installed up to 2028. Now, that's an enormous challenge. In the UK at the moment, there are 950 accredited heat pump installers. So it shows you where one of those jobs and skills gaps is. So if we are going to deliver on the installation of heat pumps, which we have to do, we have to electrify heating in the UK, we're going to meet our targets. The next big question is, How do we train all of those new heat pump engineers to be available to be able to deliver the heat pumps that we want to see as part of that strategy? So whilst we can look at technology as being one part of the solution, and our winners have got brilliant examples of technologies that can help, we have to have the workforce that can deploy these technologies. So there are some very big challenges that we face going forward. But if those challenges are done well, we can create opportunities for young people in terms of apprenticeships. So QBAR2, I was talking about a little bit earlier, the kind of underfloor robotics insulation company are a good example. Uh, Because of the fact they're working in robotics, they've attracted a lot of young people who want to come and work into a sector which hasn't traditionally attracted young people. Um, And in fact, because the um, skills that young people have in terms of gaming, they actually use a PlayStation controller to control the robots because of those transferable skills that have come from gaming to help them do it really well. So there are lots of opportunities, we think, to be able to deliver climate change and improve people's lives. I completely agree. I think it is so important, um, kind of this new green workforce that could be created if there is this push to um, improve people's knowledge and fill those job gaps that you've spoken about with the people who need the jobs the most. Sustainable towns and cities or it can kind of work hand in hand with digitalised towns and cities and I just want to kind of get your opinion on that. Sure. Um, So technology absolutely plays a key role in terms of delivering this. But I I was saying to you when we were talking just before the beginning of this podcast, Catherine, that we have to be a little bit careful around technology, because often within climate change, we're told that some technological revolution will save us. 
And that's slightly dangerous because if you look at technologies like carbon capture and storage, for example, we've been talking about this for more than a decade, and there are very few plants which are actually delivering this around the world. And the danger sometimes in terms of technology and climate change is it offers as an excuse for politicians and leaders to delay action. We need the action delivered now. However, having said that, there's plenty of technology around which will support the way that people can change behaviours. So, for example, if you look at some of the technology around transport in towns and cities, we're seeing now a whole range of electric bikes being made available, which are controlled by app. So you can find a bike which suits you. You can hop on that bike and that bike can be then part of your journey. So you might travel to work by train, but you might finish that journey by finding an electric bike and, and cycling to your office place. So that data-driven technology in terms of active travel, uh, finding a bike, finding a route that's safe to walk down, finding a route which has less pollution can make big differences to people's behaviours as well. And the same is true in terms of looking at uh, housing stock, for example. So one of our previous winners, an organisation called Parity Projects, been using big data projects to help local authorities to really understand the housing stock, what type of housing stock they have, what tenure it is, and what sort of solutions are required to bring them up to high energy efficiency standards. So you're absolutely right, technology is going to play a very critical role. So one of the things that we are calling for at Ashton is for more devolution for um, regional and local authorities to be able to make their own decisions about what's important. To give you an example of that, Andy Burnham up in Greater Manchester, who's just been re-elected to his Metro Mayor position, this morning has uh, announced that they are going to be taking um, bus services back into public ownership. Uh, and they're asking the government for the resources they need to make that happen. We need to see much more of that rolling out across the UK. Local authorities have seen very large funding cuts for the last 10 years. 10 years ago, there was a raft of policies around climate change and environment, which don't exist anymore. And because of the funding cuts, a lot of the staff now aren't there either. So the expertise and capacity has been removed. So we need to get that back and the powers back, and then we can start tackling these issues. So I have been looking at your website as well, and you've got a blueprint for a sustainable city. And I just kind of wanted you to think about what the government needs to do to build a green recovery at the local level. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, as I've just mentioned, we we support local authorities. And a lot of what we do with local authorities, I mean, there, there are 400 local authorities and we have very complicated structures in the UK. So we have regional authorities, combined authorities, we've got county councils. Uh, there's a whole complicated structure out there. But one of the big challenges is, I said earlier on, lots of local authorities have lost capacity and expertise because of funding cuts. A lot of what we do in the towns and cities team is to prevent replication, if you like, to prevent reinventing the wheel. So rather than a local authority designing a whole new programme, we will try and find programmes that already exist, like those of our award winners and others, 
and then introduce local authority to those projects to adapt them locally and make them work for themselves. So a lot of what we do is running these kind of regional learning hubs, bringing local authorities together to learn from each other and for other great examples. But as I said, if local authorities don't have the powers to make the changes that they need, um, then we're going to limit what we can do in terms of tackling climate change. So in terms of our call for action, uh, this is a piece of work which has been de uh, delivered in partnership with a number of different organisations. So academic organisations like the Grantham Institute, representative organisations of local uh, authorities uh, and organisations people will be familiar with like Greenpeace and others. And what we're asking for is five main things. So an investment in low carbon and climate resistant infrastructure. So that's really about putting in place what needs to happen. So it's the cycle highways that need to be put in place. It's looking at how we make our buildings resilient for what climate change is going to throw at us. We see a warming climate. How do we protect our homes from overheating? How do we manage uh, the increasing numbers of, of severe weather events we're having? How do we manage floods uh, sustainably? We want huge support for the whole jobs and skills piece. So support for reskilling, retraining and research for what a net zero, well adapted economy looks like. And that also means looking at different types of economies as well. So you know, how do we create an inclusive economy that works for everybody? How do we create economies which are about sharing and reusing and recycling rather than just um, the kind of some of the throwaway consumerism we have at the moment? We want to upgrade our homes to make sure they're fit for the future. And we've talked a lot about that already. But that means across all sorts of tenures in the UK. And we need the incentives in place to encourage homeowners to be able to invest in improving their homes and making them more energy efficient too. So that might be giving local authorities the ability to adjust how council tax is paid, for example, or how stamp duty is paid on a house. So you could reduce stamp duty on houses which met higher energy efficiency standards. Our fourth ask is to make it easy for people to walk and cycle and work remotely. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, that COVID has shown us that actually it is very possible to work at home in some jobs. And you know, that kind of traveling around the world that we saw, all those business meetings and business flights around the world, business hasn't stopped as a result of um, our air fleets being grounded during COVID. I think there are a lot of lessons for us to work there. And one of the things which is really interesting, we've been doing quite a lot of work with other cities around the world. And there's this great idea which has been spearheaded in Paris by the mayor, Anne Hidalgo, looking at this idea of 15 minute neighbourhoods. That everything that you need is in 15 minutes from your home. So your GP practice, your local food shops, your job, your childcare, all of these things enable us to live much more sustainably and hyper-local um, and reducing our emissions at the same time. And then making it easy for people to walk and cycle uh, around their own neighbourhoods is really important, not only for our own physical and mental health, also reducing the huge amounts of pollution that we see from fossil fuel vehicles, but also giving people a sense of safety and community. And then our fifth ask is to restore nature, to accelerate tree planting, to restore peatlands and peat bogs, to create huge amounts of green spaces and infrastructure, because that helps tackle climate change. It also helps to slow down vast loss from biodiversity and nature that we've seen. 
And again, you know, one of the big lessons in COVID is how important it was to be near a park or to have trees in your street or to be able to be close to nature. We know those things are really important for human beings as well as for the animal world too. Oh no, completely. That all sounds great. And you are right. The pandemic definitely did show that humans do need nature. Thank you so much for today, Simon. I think we'll leave it there. The work that you do for sustainability across the country is great and it all really helps with the government and, as you said, local government's decarb goals and obviously tackles the climate emergency head on. I really hope you enjoyed um, being a guest with us today, so thank you so much. I really Um, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next episode of our podcast will be out next week, guys, so keep an eye out on our LinkedIn and Twitter to see who'll be joining Floyd. The Twitter is at Quadrant Group and we will release some sneak peeks on there. So keep your eyes peeled for those. But until then, stay safe, everyone, and see you next time. Mm